hello and welcome to this week's episode of Reno Whites. My name is Connor McQuivy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Reno Whites is the podcast where I talk to various folks from Northern Nevada, some elected officials, nonprofits, arts organizations, a little bit of everyone. My goal is that Reno Whites can be the podcast for anyone who listens to podcasts in the Reno area. This week on the show, I'm very excited to welcome Jeff Scott. He is the library director for the Washoe County Library System. So he oversees all of our Washoe County libraries in the Reno area, all the way up to Gerlock, out to some of our rural communities. And he has been part of the Washoe County System for about seven years. We had a great conversation about what the libraries do, the services that they offer. I think a lot of people just associate the libraries with that place you go to check out books. But we talked about a lot of the various services that libraries perform, including audiobooks, downloads, digital stuff, things in the library like maker spaces and computer access, activities at the library, especially for kids and young people. And we also talked a little bit about the place of libraries in our modern world as a space that you can go without being expected to spend money on anything. A lot of us work at coffee shops and places where you kind of have to pay to play. The library is free for all of our community, and we talked a little bit about the value of having an open and inclusive community space. It was great to have Jeff on the show. I learned a lot about our libraries, which I value very much, and I hope you'll enjoy the conversation as well. If you enjoy the Reno Whites podcast, I would love for you to consider signing up on Patreon. Patreon is a website where folks can support creators like me who are making projects like this that have some value for our community. You can sign up to donate monthly for as little as a couple dollars a month. It makes a huge difference. It really does add up. I would very much like for the show to become financially sustainable and listener supported rather than advertiser supported. In general, I just don't love ad supported media as much as I like media that listeners support financially themselves. So please consider signing up at Patreon. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash renoites. And special shout out to some of my patrons who've really supported the show for a long time and helped it be financially sustainable. Vicky from DJ Trivia. As you know, I host Trivia Nights around town. So if you go to DJ Trivia Sierra Nevada dot com, you can find locations for DJ Trivia, including ones that I host. And also Downtown Makeover, a local blog, which is a fantastic resource for things that are happening in downtown, run by Mike Van Houten and Sam Olson from the Olson Group with Remax Gold. Really appreciate your financial support of the show. If you have any suggestions for guests or topic ideas for episodes, I would love to hear them. Shoot me an email anytime. My address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or follow me on Instagram. If you're not following on Instagram yet, I recommend that you do. I really like to engage with listeners on there, and it's a great place to get a hold of me. That's at Renoites on Instagram. And now this week's guest, Director of Washoe County Libraries, Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott, Director of the Washoe County Libraries. Welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, excited to be here. So we're recording this in the downtown library. One of the things that I did previously on the show is recorded remotely mostly, but now I'm doing more in-person recordings. And it's cool to be in this building because I love the downtown library. And I think some people don't realize how cool it is in here. It's like a, it's a very impressive building. So we'll talk a little bit about the building in a, in a second, but why libraries? So you have a career in libraries. What is it about libraries just broadly 
that has drawn you to make that your career? Well, I did, wasn't a library kid growing up. You know, I was a big reader. That's always they say when you interview for a library job, don't say you're a big reader because a lot of the job, you actually don't do a lot of reading. You're mm. just helping people with information and things like that. You're not sitting here reading a book, just checking people out. There's a whole lot of things that go behind it. And so I first really kind of introduced in libraries when I went to Arizona State University. I had a little break from college. I was establishing myself as a resident and I was going to the local public libraries around the corner. And you go in there and you can kind of keep up on your studies. I was a history major, so you can check out books, get information. And it's like, this is just, you know, really wonderful thing that's just available in every community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more libraries than there are McDonald's or Starbucks. You can go to the most rural part of this country, in the middle of nowhere. There's a library there, you know. But when I lived in California, we used to drive to San Luis Obispo. And in the middle, there's a little pit stop. And it's just like middle of nowhere off the highway. And there's a public restroom. And then there's a library there. And it's just this little spot. It doesn't have great hours, but it's there. And so it's an amazing institution because we're just really everywhere and, and getting that information. And so I really got into it because I started working in the library at ASU. And I worked at the Arizona Historical Foundation, which was the Senator Barry Goldwater archives. Hmm. And so I had actually three jobs that I, I could have taken there. That was the one that had the least pay. But when I saw the um, historical letters, you writing to presidents and, and ambassadors. You're like, oh, wow, this is like, this is history. This is the real stuff. And I was really enamored with it. So it was really fascinating. And I remember one of my reference interactions that I had when I just I cataloged all the, uh, the map collection was during the Mexican War, you know, how big was Texas? So what is what was the disputed area? And so that was always my joke. I tell people is that Mexico said Texas was you know really tiny. This is like this big, <laughs> and then the United States says Texas you know it's a little bit bigger than that. You know, and Texas is like Texas is huge. It's all the way to the <laughs> Pacific Ocean. That's Texas. So it was like when, when President Polk says American blood shot on American soil, and it's like that's probably a little subjective, but. You know, whatever it takes to, to go to war to get land. That's kind of what the objective with that is. So I can pull out three maps that shows the Mexican map, the United States map, and the Texas map. And mm -hmm. so that kind of information is really critical. We're talking about history over time, and then you can find that information. And so I've always been attracted more to like getting people information, whether that's historical information, information about, you know, applying for a job, applying for a business, or even the reader's advisory is always fun because you can't, you know, you can't Google a book. What happens in this book? You can't Google it. You know, maybe someone did a Wikipedia somewhere and like one of the popular ones. Most right. of the time you have to read it to know it. And so doing the reader's, reader's advisory and kind of deciphering what's in the book in some places, not actually reading it all the way through, but able to discern it with about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's always kind of fascinating to get people information like that. So I was always getting people, did you know about this? You know about that? And people right. ask for information in the library and you be able to pull that book like, hey, it's all in here. That was always fun when it was more of a reference library. And that was always fun for me to do that. So. Yeah, I think there's this curiosity that I think probably overlaps any kind of library work, right? Because the library is a place of information, but also entertainment too. Like I think that a lot of people read for pleasure and read fiction books, you know, those type of books. And the library kind of meets all of these different needs, both recreational reading and informational reading, actual like resource stuff is very important too. So I think having that kind of diversity of information in the libraries is important. How long have you been here at the Washington County system? Seven years since December. So it would have been December 2015 when I started. So it was, it was an interesting time. It was really on the precipice of a lot of change in mm -hmm. Reno, where they're really trying to reinvent post-recession. And so that was always the biggest challenge here was I came on board right when they were looking at closing the partnership libraries and cutting a lot of the services. And there's even an RGJ editorial board wrote a editorial about the closing of like Duncan Trainer and Bird Eye 
and other partnerships and like, oh, that's a terrible idea. It's terrible. Idea. So now you're in this situation where you're just getting on board in the midst of this sort of controversy. And you're like, okay, how do we solve this? You know, and even in 2011, they had considered even closing the libraries altogether because the recession was so bad. So how do you solve that? Because when we look at a county budget, most of these items are sort of hard coded, either state statute, federal statute, or it's money through a federal grant system. And so the money the county actually spends is only like parks and rec or libraries that are not mandated. Hmm. And so it's easy to cut, but we always have the smallest budget too. So you can say we have a $50 million budget, but it's out of a billion dollar budget. You're like, that's not that much money. <laughs> so does that make you feel a little bit safer from budget cuts knowing that you're, you know, there's not that much to cut? Are you not as much of a target because of? Oh, no, they're not shy about trying to cut the library. So oh, yeah. it's <laughs> <laughs> even, if, even if it's not that much no, money. No, even if it's not that much money, no. I mean, that's like you cut some money from the library that doesn't pay for like one law enforcement officer. So like law enforcement officer with the training, the salary, the benefits, the equipment, the vehicle, you know, that might cost the county, you know, a million dollars right there just mm-hmm. for one person where that's our book budget. So people, people underestimate that we're providing a lot of value to the public mm-hmm. in providing library services. You can come in here, the average person, when you look at the property tax formulation, everything else, the average person pays about $25 in services for a year of service. So you can pay for your Netflix subscription, your Hulu subscription mm-hmm. for, you know, one month. And then you're out. But you get all this information and all these books and all this reading. We have wireless internet. We have public computers. We have 400,000 books. We have ebooks. We have downloadable audiobooks. You know, we have databases. You can do research, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're a student doing research project. We have everything there. And mm-hmm. so I'm really efficient with our dollars because it's always under threat because people want to just buy everyone a computer and internet access. And it's like, that doesn't really teach anyone anything, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And most of the stuff you're interacting with now nowadays is all paywalled. So I want to look at the New York Times. Oh, can't read that article. Is that really important to you? Too bad. Pay 10 bucks. We have the New York Times subscription. So now with your library card, you get free access to the New York Times. And so things like that, people don't realize there's all these resources. You can learn a language. You can read the New York Times. You know, you can do all kinds of things with a library card. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's always finding that pitch to the individual person because everyone's like, I don't read that much. Well, you know, we have other things. There's music, there's movies, there's databases, there's New York Times. Mm -hmm. So there's always kinds of things you can pitch it to different people. And like, oh, I know you do that. And it's always all the time. When I first started working here, it was always hard because we were on the tail end of all the recession and the budget cuts. And every time we did a press release, they're like, oh, the library's dying, but they're going to do this thing. And it's like, that's not positive. We're not. This isn't dying. <laughs> people support the library. And so now when we do things, people are like, yay, libraries, this is great. And we get partnerships and people just really support us. We even got an increase in the budget this last year. So we're open seven days a week. So we're really, really thriving now, which is really great. But it's always good to get the word out about libraries. Yeah. And I think like letting people know about the different services. For example, I did not know that we had access through the library to the New York Times. I just canceled my New York Times subscription a couple days ago because I wasn't reading as much as I'd like right. to. I kept the games, just the crossword. Right, stuff. your wordle, that's the yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> def- definitely ke- kept the games, but I canceled my subscription. And then I went to read something today and I was like, oh crap, I can't read right, it. Right. So knowing that we have access through the library, yep. I yep. had no idea. So yep. is, is a big part of what you do letting people know about all of these various services because I think people their perception of the library is it's the place that you go and check out books and everyone knows you know there's computers too there's additional services but it's a big part of what you do really getting the word out about the variety of things that the library does well it's trying to be that ambassador because the more you do outreach the more 
opportunities come to you. Mm. So getting out there, talking about our needs, talking about the services that we provide. I mentioned before we are on, we do this KUNR spot on the shelf and on the kids shelf. You can work with your kids. You know, we have partnerships with United Way, Northern Nevada and Sierra. We have partnerships with the Children's Cabinet, partnerships with Northern Nevada Literacy Council. So it's finding all these partnerships, working with elected officials, talking to a bunch of people so they're excited about the library. So they just know, but once they know about it, like, wow, this is amazing. You know, people are just, they're fighting each other to get funding for us, but it's also just getting that word out because you're busy. That's that's one of the things we learned during COVID is that a lot of people were too busy to come to the library. So I can't make it in 10 to 6. Sometimes I make it on the weekend if I'm running errands or something. Sunday's always a very popular day because people, you know, they, they get out, they run their errands, they go to church, come to the library after, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of like getting the word about, you know, we're here, we have all these resources for you. And then, you know, people really realize that. And so during COVID, people didn't, couldn't run around as much. They were busy. They couldn't make it in. Now they're stuck. Like, what do I do now? You do your streaming services and there's only so many movies you watch. Like, maybe I'll read a book. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll listen to an audiobook. And so we captured a lot of people during that using our Overdrive and our Libby app. Mm-hmm. So they're listening to audiobooks while they're commuting or, or in the car or at home. They're listening to audiobooks while they're doing tasks. And so that's really skyrocketed. Pre-pandemic, your average branch probably had about 25,000 to 30,000 checkouts per month. Over you know over hundred thousand over hundred thousand checkouts hundred fifty thousand checkouts and so it used to be where the ebook branch you know quote unquote branch was about like forty thousand so it was our busiest branch hmm. as a service now it's basically the busiest of all the services per month so you have eight hundred thousand checkouts annually for ebooks hmm. and that's only going up and the only limitation really with that is not having enough budget which we're trying to resolve next year is to increase our library budget hmm. so whenever we get a grant from the state library we put it to ebooks Mark Robin and had a good article in RGJ over the summer. Like, how come I got all these books coming in? What happened? It's like, well, we got a grant, mm. you know, $17,000 grant satisfies a lot of holds. So someone's like put a hold on a book and you're waiting for it. And we usually buy one copy for every four persons who are waiting on it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you're know, waiting a month for that book. And then all of a sudden you're getting it today. Like, oh, hey, what happens? Like, well, we got more money for it. And God, that's the okay. only barrier really to people checking out more books is, is just having the money to buy the books for that. We're above 4% pre-pandemic on our physical check out. So people are coming back, not just for the downloadable audio or the eBooks, they're coming back for the physical books, reading a book in front of you. Nothing's going to interrupt you while reading a book. You're not getting a text. Mm. You're not getting an advertisement. Your your mind is your own. You can read the page right there. And that's kind of like, hey, you know, that's really relaxing. And I think that is like post-COVID we're trying to get people to kind of read more because they need to kind of rewire their brains. We've done all this videos and we're doing the virtual stuff and we're looking at screens all the time. Like, get away from that. Read a book. Rewire the long-term thinking with your brain instead of just trying to get that minute little rush. Just practice that. Read for 10 minutes. Read for five minutes. You know, read through that. And that's kind of an important thing that we do is trying to get people kind of reintroduced to that. You're reading. You're not having to, like, find out the information every five seconds, you know, it'll wait. You can wait for certain time periods and you just read your book and just relax. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listen to audiobooks. I use the Libby app. What is the financial difference between having all of the hard books and the, the digital books? Does that change how you budget and the number of books you're able to provide? Like has this switch to a lot more digital stuff increase the general availability in the, the catalog in a big way? And how does that work financially? Yeah. The budget's actually been hit because of ebooks. So when you buy a book, so the funny thing about having a physical material, like even like today, physical versus digital, there's a lot of big difference. So physical, you own this. I own this book. I can do whatever I want with this book. I can read it. I can set it on fire. I can make a craft out of it. I can resell it. 
you know, that's the whole thing. So it's digital. It's like you have a contract. Mm-hmm. You're you're buying a, a certificate, a license to right. read it. And so the problem with that is that, you know, that doesn't ever wear out. So mm-hmm. the way the publishers look at it now is that we, after two years, we'll buy a new copy of that book if some people still want it, which isn't really true. If that book is still in good shape, we'll keep it on the shelf after two years. It's not like right. nobody wants this anymore, throw it away. You know, we keep it on the shelf because of this popularity with it. And sometimes we'll buy and replace it if it's been a lot of a lot of checkouts. But it takes a larger threshold than two years. But the publishers think, after two years, you're going to buy a new anyway. So what we're going to do is charge you the equivalent of the life mm. of the book. So I'm going to charge you four times that cost of the book for an ebook or for a downloadable audiobook because then we're recovering that cost. And it's like, that's not how we operate mm. at all. And so the problem is that ebooks are really popular, but then we also can't afford to keep up. Even if we get this increased budget, we're going to probably spend significantly more money on ebooks and downloadable audiobooks because mm. it's an arm and a leg. It's hundred dollars. It's like 20. So we get a book and we'll get book discounts. We buy in bulk book jobbers like Baker and Taylor, this is a $25 book, $30 book. We get a 40% discount, so we're paying $18 for the book. So we can get that. It lasts longer, and their budget lasts longer. Now we're paying $100 for that book, and there's no discount, even though we're buying in bulk. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing we're stuck with, is that we have a lot more people who are using the library because of COVID, and now they've really been reintroduced to the library, which is great. All the busy people are captured, and they love these services, but now they're waiting a long time, and it's getting longer and longer, mm-hmm. and it's like... You know, it's tough, and that's been just a whole dialogue on the politics of the ebook and publishers and everything else. But that's always been a struggle for us is that this is a really great service, like you have on your phone. That was always the early 2000s when you had iTunes and everything else. Now you can have your book on your phone yeah. instantly. You like that book, boom, check it out. But oh, there it is. And now it's like, now it's costing us more and more and more, and more people are getting used to it and like it. We're having to spend more money on it. So it's like you have to look at how can we increase the book budget to satisfy that demand because it's just skyrocketing right now. Yeah. In your personal reading experience, I know there's the benefits of reading an actual physical book. I also like reading actual physical books. And then there's the e-reading or like Kindle and, and reading on whatever device you happen to have. What do you tend to like about each of those things? Are there things you like about all those different formats? Do you consume book content in all of those different formats? What's your own kind of experience of the digital versus physical books versus audio? I've always been hybrid, though. The thing I always love about ebooks is you can read it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like you need to return something at a Kohl's day after Christmas, right? And I go, oh, this long line. It's like, oh, well, I have my book. I'll be fine. You know, I'll, I'll sit there and read my book. And so the convenience of that is great. And I think that's always been something for me is I'll do the audiobooks. I'll listen to the audiobooks and, and read the ebooks because it's convenience. Sometimes I'll use the accessibility feature on my phone. So sometimes it won't be available in audiobook yet, but I have the ebook and you can play it on your phone using the accessibility option. Oh, so someone, fine. a nice Irish grandma can read the book to you, even though it <laughs> may not be appropriate for the, the character narration, but it works pretty well for listening to it. I also like I found with COVID, that I had trouble keeping my attention with a lot of the ebooks. So I'm looking at screens so much, and then I just didn't have the attention span. Like at some point, my mind was like, I don't want to look at this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bought an e reader, I bought a Kobo. So that's you know, electronic advanced reader copies. So before the books hit the stands, librarians often will get copies of it. So you mm-hmm. used to get like the, the arcs that were physical, and they've come less and less because it's expensive to produce them. Yeah. So now it's all electronic. And then sometimes the Kindles, like you can't sideload your material. Like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. fine, Kindle. It's, everything has to be going through Amazon. Right. It's yeah. like, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I really liked a lot of the formats. Like, no, I don't like a Kindle. I'm not doing that. So I bought a Kobo, which is sort of like, I look for something that was completely agnostic. Mm-hmm. So I want to add books to it. I want to rekindle books on it. I could do it. I want with it. So I was very picky about it. So I found something I really liked as a Cobra Libra. And it's nice because it's an e-ink display. So I found that with the digital, I had trouble and I got the e-ink display. So that's just like reading a paper. 
you know, mm-hmm. and so that was really great. So I read more physical books, books at the library, books I had, and then the, the ebooks on my reader. So I ended up reading for longer. It helped with my attention span, reading longer post COVID because I had that. So I think that's always the thing with the library is that, you know, that's always the a meditative thing. That was always my favorite. One of my favorite essays from Kurt Vonnegut was about him getting the Saturday evening post and reading one of the stories for 15 minutes. And he said it's called a Buddhist catnap. So you're reading that time period and your breathing slows and your concentration grows. And it's like you're meditating at that point and you're immersed in that story. And that's kind of like one of the things that people forget about libraries is that we do all these cool things. We have maker services. We have bookmobiles. We have Wi-Fi. Bring your computer. Check out a book. You read the book. And that helps you, even if you're just reading, you know, whatever short books, if you're reading something that's just a romance material, you can increase your vocabulary reading romances because, you know, you're reading that 17th century, 18th century fiction, and they're using very fancy language mm-hmm. there. So it's sort of like you're, you're going to grow your brain just reading that. That is something that's relaxing, but you're learning at the same time. So. Yeah. Are people reading more or less? I know that there's more accessibility to reading, but just generally, statistically, are people reading as much as they used to, less than they used to. It feels like people don't read as much because we have our devices all the time. Is that the reality or what's kind of the the trend among people reading in general? People are reading less. And that's true even before the pandemic. People just, there's so many things, there's so many distractions. And so it's kind of getting people in that. And it's always, like I said, capturing the busy people. So you're running around and you're going here and there and you're listening to music or you listen to a podcast or something. And you're always kind of on the go and trying to encourage people to kind of find that time. We're trying to fight that attention economy of like reading a book, Mm -hmm. read that book, and then try and encourage ways that people can read the book if they haven't been reading in a long time. When someone hasn't been a big reader, like, what do I how do we get back into it? What do mm-hmm. we do? And so we kind of find out like, what do you like? What do you like to do? What do you like? Do you like movies? Do you like TV shows? Do you like what do you kind of activities do you like to do? And then trying to find something that goes with that. So if you like, if you're a big fan of Gilmore Girls and you like the small town life, there's a bunch of books we can introduce you to that mirrors that kind of feeling. It's all just trying to find that as a librarian, trying to find that. But also it's important it says yourself as a person, It's kind of like analyzing what you like. You know, who are you? What do you like to do? Do you have things that you tend to do? And kind of understanding that is important because it's kind of helps you just navigate what you want to do with your life, but also like how you want to entertain yourself. People don't take that time, you know, with themselves to kind of think like, what do I like to read? What did I not like about this book, this movie? What did I like about it? What resonated with me? And kind of like analyzing yourself. And that helps you become a better reader because then you're kind of finding things that you like. You know, when I get stuck with books and I feel like I'm in a slump, I always go to the Martha Wells uh, Murderbot series. It's a series uh, called All Systems Red. So it's very funny. And it talks about social anxiety, which a lot of people have, I think, post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, that's always kind of find that book for yourself that kind of like, here's the one I go back to as a comfort. And so that's things like that help, I think, with just recovering from COVID, mm-hmm. but also with the busy life, just trying to take some time out and read. Yeah, I think figuring out what books you want to read, what you enjoy to read, can be kind of a challenge too, because I tend to read the books that I feel like I'm supposed to read, yeah. the books I should read, the <laughs> hard books that I can feel impressed at myself for reading, yeah. and then I don't pick them up as much because right. they're not as fun. No. So as part of getting people to read, just making sure that they know reading is supposed to be fun, right. it's supposed to be enjoyable, it doesn't have to be a chore. I think a lot of us probably associate reading with with school with homework right. uh, and like as a as a chore or responsibility rather than just something that we do because we truly enjoy so is that a big part of it is 
just like giving people the the love of reading. And that starts when they're kids. Cause it's mm-hmm. like when you're a little kid and you go into the, in the library section and you have these big picture books, they're so fun. This big giant book and it's got a balloon on it and there's a dragon on it. Like what's going on in here? And there's pictures and there's words. That's like the, the best reading experience you can have. And then it's all like, you shouldn't be reading that. You should be reading this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, I don't like that. And then, you know, get parents that get anxious about the educational level of the child and they get these accelerated learners or accelerated reader books. And so you should be reading this book. And it's like, this book is kind of dry and boring or it's a classic. And it's like, I'm not really into this. Mm. And it really kind of kills that. That's always one of the the tricks I learned telling people when they learned to to pick reading back up is don't read before bed because it trains your mind is reading is sleeping Mm. because you're reading until you fall asleep. Then whenever you read, you're going to fall asleep. Hmm. Which isn't really like a reading thing. Traditionally, like the joke, like it's so boring, I fell asleep. But it's because you read before bed. You're training your brain a certain way. So you have to kind of like read when you first get up in the morning. Then reading is invigorating. Reading is exciting. Like you're starting your day before you get into stuff, read the 10 minutes out of that book. And then it's like, oh, it's exciting. Now your your mind is getting fired up and huh. it's like drinking coffee. And so that is something you have to struggle with is trying to get people to read books and get excited. Because that's our life cycle of the library patron is very similar to our reading life. So when you're a little kid, you get all these picture books and you come to story time and the library's magical and it's all this fun. And then you go to school. And then it's like, you have to read this. You have to read that. What about like by leisure reading, things I like to do. You don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. You know, get get your studies done, do this extracurricular activity, go, 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 go. And you do that until you become a parent yourself. And then you bring your your child back to the library and like, oh yeah, it's, remember this was fun when you were a kid and it was all fun and stuff. And then the kid grows up and they go to school and they're back to the grind. Mm. And then you're back to the grind. And then you retire and you come back. I remember when we went to this library 20 years ago, it was all <laughs> different then. You know, and that's kind of the reading life too. When you're little, you're learning to read and everything else. And then at third grade, you're learning to read and then you're reading to learn. Mm. And that's I mean, that's not as fun, but it's also becomes reading as a chore. And I think that's always the thing that people need to keep in mind is sort of like try to find ways, you know, reading is fun and to keep that love of reading. And that is an important thing that we try to emphasize is that read for fun. Read, read dumb things. You saw something online on a book talk and you thought, this, this book sounds dumb. I'm going to read it. Or a graphic novel or something, you know. I think people underestimate, like, you can still read comics, graphic novels that still have intellectual stimulation that are still have literary merit. Mm-hmm. So don't, like, dismiss those things. So don't feel like I shouldn't read this book. Just read whatever you want. You know, we have a, a lot of uh, newsletters that we have in the library. So you can subscribe to them. So for interested in fiction, nonfiction, history, science fiction, you can get a recommendation. It has a little blurb for each book. Because I'm going to read that book that sounds fun just find fun stuff to read because that's the best way to get back into reading is find stuff that's fun like what do you like to do for fun what do you mm-hmm. think is fun read that book and that counts for something in the mm-hmm. literary journey it's even like when you're when you're a baby and you're a kid here's this book you're holding the book this is how you hold the book this is how you open the book this is how you turn the pages that's all part of reading mm-hmm. you know and it's all like reading before you know how to read so that's an important aspect for that so the same thing with when you have books you buy but you don't read you're still interacting with that you're still getting something out of it mm-hmm. and it says something about you that you just decided to buy the book, but you don't have to read it if you don't like it. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's you know? that is good to know because I definitely <laughs> am a person who buys books and does not always read them. I would right. say I have, I have a pretty full bookshelf and I've read maybe half of them and right. the other, they're always on my to be read list. Right. They're, you know, they're I'll read them one day kind of right. Uh, right. attitude. You mentioned kids and getting kids interested in reading. What kind of programs does the library do for kids to get kids interested in reading and keep them interested in reading as they grow up? Just for starters, we have the story time. We have really advanced children's areas. So you have these really big spaces. Parents can bring their kid. They can go explore on their own, pick their own books. 
that was always the hardest part during the pandemic is like, you know, having an experience as a parent, bringing your child in, they kind of like, here's this book. I like that book. And just discovering what you like. Do you like Thomas the Tank Engine? Do you like dragons? Do you like this book with the red balloon on it? You know, and, and having that discovery. And then we have story time. And then we have partnerships with different nonprofits that help with doing story time or early literacy activities. Children's Cabinet has this great program called I'm Ready for K. So as a parent, you can kind of look through the workbook and work with your child about certain milestones so that when they get to kindergarten, they'll be prepared for kindergarten and be able to, to get on the right foot. So we have lots of things like that. We also have other programs. Summer reading program is always our big time. So we bring in people, we bring in magicians, we bring in clowns, we bring in people with lizards, you know, come touch this lizard, touch the crocodile, things like that, that really make it fun coming to the library. So that's always the thing is that summer reading is great because kids are out of school, parents are trying to find something to do, Mm -hmm. come to the library, come to a program, check out books, you know, have that whole experience and give that experience to your child. So that's probably like the biggest things we do is story time, early literacy program summer reading that's for all ages so little kids people reading a chapter books people in school reading that way and so just trying to get people encouraging them to read all the time we do a lot of book recommendations that was the two things we learned from the pandemic when we did our surveys was that People like being in the library. They like reading, relaxing, and hanging out. That was one of our top survey responses, mm. which we thought was kind of like a throwaway one, was like, well, maybe people just like just hanging out in the library, you know, because it was like post-COVID, and we got a lot of responses like, oh, I miss just being there. And like, well, how many people miss being there? Well, a lot of people did. And so that's why we're doing all these renovations. We renovated Northwest Reno. We renovated Sparks Library. We're renovating Sierra View Library now that's in the Reno Town Mall. We're looking at renovating other facilities, and people just like having these really, really comfortable spaces and, and getting people back in. It's like downtown Reno. When I got here, it was kind of starting to get a little run down and a little spruce. We got some private donation matched with county funding. We're able to renovate it. So we have this now just brand new children's area that's there. And we have all the mid-century modern furniture mm-hmm. that go with the building. So it feels like you're going back in time, which is always fun. So we try to keep like things active, keep things fresh. You want to come back in here. If it feels like it's run down. It's like, you don't want to come here. It feels like it's all falling apart like on the way out like you want to feel like oh this is fun people Mm -hmm. people enjoy working here people enjoy being here this is a fun space to sit like you're at downtown arena library and you have this giant tree that you can read under if you want to we have this little pond there and it's got a little fountain and it's got some benches and just you have this natural light it could be eight degrees outside but it's eternally spring in the Mm -hmm. library hang out in the library so that's like a big demand that we get and they're really working on trying to satisfy that so having those really comfortable facilities are important yeah the, the physical spaces i think are really important and the library tends to be kind of the the last place you can just go and not be expected to buy anything the downtown library in particular i just i love the building and for people who have not been in here i know you described a little bit about it but can you just kind of paint a little picture of what the downtown library is when you walk in the door if you've not been here before the funny thing about downtown reno is that when you go downtown you see there's just sort of this nondescript brick building outside and so like what's what's that what does this do? And you go inside and it's like, here are these trees. Here's this natural light. Here's all these walls of books. Like, wow, this is magical. Like you have this avocado tree that greets you and these other trees that greet you. They reach up to the ceiling. You're surrounded by foliage, you know, trying to trying to find people in here that can hide in the little reading pod that's there that has trailing vines coming down and foliage. So you're kind of like, I'm reading in a forest. I'm reading like in a treehouse in a forest is what it feels like. And so having a whole experience, this building is always something I kind of give an example as this is 
representative of American progress. Like, this is what we thought the future would be, you know, and even has its own bomb shelter. So we, the bomb shelter is a very popular <laughs> tour, which is always funny because the first time I went down there, I was expecting you go to the bomb shelter and there's like shack carpeting, mid-century modern furniture, a little bar cart. And it's just like two big culvert pipes. Yeah. And you get to the end, like, oh, so we're just hanging out in the, these tunnels. Yeah. That doesn't feel like that's safe or fun. They'd be like, I don't know if I want to be in here right. whenever they falls apart. But it has all these really kind of cool, unique features. And I always compare it to the 60s, like the one of the staircases has a you know circular kind of staircase that goes up. And I always think the Arthur C. Clarke rendezvous with Rama was always the one I usually give it an example because you have this spaceship mysteriously in space and you go inside and it's a garden. It's this garden inside the Garden of Eden inside. And so that's kind of like, that's kind of the difference when you come outside. You're like, here's this brick building downtown. That's very nondescript. You go inside, like, this is like beautiful. This is lovely. There's how many trees are there downtown that you can really like go and, and read, under, read under a tree. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of one of the things we did outside was build that railing on the wall that has the library on it. So I only did that like in 2019. Before I was like, oh yeah, there's a library here. Now you can see that the sign says mm-hmm. there's little symbols of books and libraries. Like, oh yeah, here we yeah. go. So <laughs> excellent. Yeah. People using the so people using the library for various purposes. And you said people like to just come and hang out. One thing that I notice I tend to do very often. I meet people to do co-working and I meet people for like quick conversations before we're gonna be guests on the podcast, those kind of things. My initial automatic just default brain reaction is what coffee shop do you want to go to? What Starbucks is near you? Those kind of things. Mm. Obviously, people do come and hang out and use the library. Why do you think it is that people like me have this default mode of, I want to go spend $8 on a latte and feel guilty if I'm sitting at a table for too long, when there is a library right here that is free to use and has tons of space and all of the tables and the chairs and all of the things? Why? Help me psychologically. Why in the world do I default to going to spend money at a coffee shop and taking up a very limited number of tables? Well, it used to be like a walkability issue. You know, you'd have a a coffee shop, a little coffee shop around the corner, like growing up in the nineties, the friends coffee shop, that was actually really representative of a lot of coffee shops there. There's really funky little vibes, like in a little strip mall somewhere. And I can walk around the corner. I'm at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. where libraries, a lot of times are maybe in suburban areas You have to drive to them. You can walk to sparks. You can walk to Northwest Reno. You can walk to, but you can't walk to a lot of them Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part a lot of times they're a lot bigger. They have a lot bigger spaces. They have to find space to do that. So it's more like I have to drive and go somewhere kind of mindset with it. But the reality is like when you come to the library, you can sit like downtown Reno just described. You can have a little chair under a tree and chat for hours and no one's going to bother you and say, you're going to order something, sir. You know, you can use the restrooms without getting harassed or need a special code Mm -hmm. or anything else. You can be here all day. I think that's people forget like here's all these resources here. We have high speed internet. We're upgrading our internet to fiber. So one gigabit of fiber is coming to our libraries, which is great. So the Wi-Fi is going to be a lot faster. Now we have the capacity to meet that demand. Mm -hmm. We have study room spaces. So if you want to like meet someone at little tables, you can do that. You can reserve a study space online, sit there for hours and just, you know, doing a study session, doing a podcast, you have those spaces. We have these new spaces called Zoom rooms. And so it's sort of like a little phone booth and sometimes a little meeting room. So you go in there, you can close the door and it's soundproof. Hmm. 
So then you can go and maybe you're doing a virtual call or a phone call. You're doing it in the library, that's convenient, but then you want some privacy, step into the booth. Or you want to have a one-on-one meeting with someone, you can go there, close the door, step into the booth. And so we have all these resources we're looking at to accommodate people like that who are co-working spaces. You can reserve a co-working space, or you can come to the library and use our high-speed Wi-Fi and find a little comfortable egg chair that we have downtown, you know, feel like a Bond villain for a minute, and relax, and then work on your stuff. And then there's libraries everywhere, you know, downtown Reno, South Valleys, Spanish Springs, Incline Village up in Tahoe. We even have a library out in Gerlach that's a partnership library. And they have these relaxing spaces. Have you ever been to like Spanish Springs or South Valleys or, or Northwest? You go out and you have this comfortable chair by this window, and then there's the Peavine Mountain and there's snow on the mountain. And it's like, ah, this is what it's like living in Reno, Tahoe. You know, mm-hmm. I live in the mountains, so in the snow capped <coughs> mountains. This is Nevada. And you have these beautiful views. And so it's very relaxing. You can get work done, but have that environment that's very productive and so it's always hard to kind of like get the word out of always like mm-hmm. looking at opportunities to kind of like come to the library check out books hang out here if you have some time to hang out here you're gonna really thank yourself for doing that so yeah and i think that again the expectation that you don't have to pay for anything right. is huge because there are very few spaces left where you can just be and not be expected to be spending money. So I think that that's a huge benefit for here at the library. And also, it seems to be a place that is for literally everyone across the entire socioeconomic spectrum. And one of the things that I know for unhoused people, the library very often is the only place to get out of the weather conditions to use the restroom. So things like that. How have you experienced, you know, homelessness has obviously changed over the years. It's an issue in a lot of cities. We hear a lot about it here in Reno. It's always a big topic of conversation. So as someone who's managing libraries, what's your experience been like with the unhoused community? And how do you kind of work with the entire spectrum of people that want to use the space? Yeah, we have a partnership with the court. So we have a community court. And so the idea was that the library is a very comfortable place for a lot of the houseless people to go anyway. So a lot of times in the past, what would happen is that you would get cited for something, trespassing, public drunkenness, something like that. You'd get a citation. You'd have a show up to court. You'd have a warrant because you didn't show up to court. They'd come to arrest you. They'd throw you in jail. The court would release you on your own time served, and that was it. So it spent a lot of money on all this stuff, and it doesn't help anybody. You just get into these cycles where we're spending on this money. It's not helping them. We're still back on the street, mm-hmm. and so how do you help people? So community court was sort of this envision. That's something that's going on nationally where instead of saying go to court, you say go to go to community court. So you go to the library. Like on a Wednesday, every Wednesday we have community court. You come in. You see a judge. Judge says, well, I'm going to – looks like you need some help. I'm going to sign you to one of these nonprofits that provide assistance. So then they're getting help. So if they're having trouble with drug addiction, if they're having trouble finding a place to stay, if they're having trouble just, you know, paying for their car, all kinds of things, there's resources out there that can provide them money, get them connected to housing, get them connected to getting a car, getting them off drugs, getting them help. And so that's one of the many things we do. And, and downtown Reno's got a great space because we have mm-hmm. the auditorium downstairs, it's a 104 person auditorium. So the judge sits up on the stage and they come up there and then you have the garden level here, we have all these tables and chairs. So all the nonprofits sit in there, you can have up to 50 different nonprofits that can provide a variety of assistance and they're getting help right there. We're talking about the houseless in the community ideas that really you want to get them to get help and the help always looks something different because we talk about the homeless talk about the houseless we're like we're just gonna have them at home and that's gonna solve all their problems that's not true a lot of times there's a variety of ways you can help someone that might be temporarily down on their luck long term down on their luck 
or having a lot of problems that result in them getting into the cycle they can't get out of. Mm. Um, so community court is something where it has a variety of experience and solution to all those problems with that. We partner with the homeless community a lot. We help with their account in January. And certainly just being open to the public is really huge. Even sometimes when we lose power and we probably should evacuate some of the people, we have such good natural light and you have heat or you have cool. It's it's warm in the winter, it's cool in the summer and you can hang out here. And I think that's something that's a really reprieve. That's one of the things that we learned, I've learned in, in working in libraries is that when you close the library, even for renovating, even temporarily, your crime rate goes up because hmm. all the people who would naturally be able to go inside and hang out and do things, now they're just getting into trouble or, or doing other things they shouldn't be doing. So it helps a lot with just the downtown feeling of it. A lot of people are afraid to go downtown because they see some of that element there. And I think that's always the question of going from the university to like Midtown is a challenge. They don't have that kind of issue outside downtown. We all come into the library, they'll hang out. It's a very chill vibe for the most part. So there's all kinds of services that we provide for the homeless and also for the community and handling the homeless. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we're all learning how to, how to do. Because I think there's a, there's a good solution for a lot of times where sometimes you just need, I need a place to store my stuff. I need to take a shower. I need to wash my clothes. And you know what? When you do those three things, you don't see the homeless population as much because mm-hmm. you know what they'll look like disheveled. They don't look like they need help. They're actually getting help. They look like everyone else because they are like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, we see the clothing dirty or ripped or we see them with a bunch of stuff there. Then we make those judgments. But the reality is there's places to store their stuff, take a shower, do laundry. Then it goes away, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like you can actually focus on getting people help instead of just wanting to have some sort of punitive system that doesn't help anybody. So that's my spiel yeah. on that. I go longer on that when talking <laughs> about libraries, but I have a lot of thoughts on that. But the county's yeah. done a great job with the CARES campus and the campus for women is really great. Mm-hmm. I used to be over here on Record Street and it was hard because you had the men and the women sort of in the same facility. So if you have people trying to get out of the situation, whether that's domestic violence, mm-hmm. you know, then you're in that close nearby environment that's not great they have this great campus yeah i was i was fortunate to be able to tour the our place campus not that long ago just last week actually and was very impressed at just the range of service there where it is different types of housing different types of things for families and just a really beautiful space it's you know feels nice to be at so yeah i think that spaces that are welcoming and warm are really important especially for people who are vulnerable and expose the elements a lot to be able to go somewhere that feels pretty safe and comfortable i think is a big value and on the community court thing I did an episode actually earlier this year with Judge Chris Hazlett-Stevens, who runs the community court. So for listeners who want to learn more about the community court, there's an entire episode from earlier this year that's all about the community court program, which I think is really valuable for the community. In recent years, there's been kind of more political attention paid to libraries. A a close example here to Reno, I know in Douglas County, I think it was last year, they had a like a diversity statement that was put out that expressed support for BLM. And then the sheriff said he wasn't going to answer calls to the library. And I think that librarian ended up quitting and, and moving out of the area. And then also the other thing that we hear about all the time now is the, the drag queen story hour where you get protesters and some, I think I would describe as pretty scary people sometimes with guns and violent threats and things because of the drag queen story hour. Can you talk a little bit about the politicization of libraries, about the kind of culture war focus that we see in our broader society coming to a space that you probably didn't intend to have a lot of political (laughs) issues with when you got into the library world? 
what I decided to go in the libraries and I talked to my wife about it. Like, this is a good job. This is, this was fun. You like books. You like people. Yeah, you like technology. You know, you're helping people. Like, I found that person's job. I found that person. They started their business. We have those stories right now. And they're like, this person's got their ID and they got a job. This is the stuff we do like every day. They're reading books, doing story time, all this stuff. This is what we do. And now it's sort of like someone's like saying, we don't like drag queen story time. Like we do that once a year. Like the time you're taking to protest it or being upset about it is longer than the time we spend actually doing the program. Mm. And it's one of the things that we thought of a number of years ago. There's a good New York Times article from 2017 that talked about one of the first Dropping Story Times in New York Public Library. And it's like, it doesn't do this both sides stuff. It doesn't say some people have concerns. It's just basically this person came in and they did a story time and the kids fucking loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, that sounds great. That sounds fun. That's all we're doing. And it's dumb because people are getting so upset about it. And it's like, there's a band just as a woman reading books to kids. There's nothing else to it. Mm. They're not stripping. They're not doing anything inappropriate. This is fun. And the goal behind that is that you have a lot of families in the community, gay families in the community, and they want to have that inclusiveness with their with their kids, whether they're they're gay themselves or their allies. And they want to do something that helps their kids with, with inclusion. And this is a great way to do that. And I think that's always the thing with, we have these conversations about Pride Parade and things like that. Like, how do we have that kind of version for kids? I think that's important because kids, you know, realize who they are at a much younger age than people really give credit to. I think that's some of the controversy with this nationally is that parents have a really fixed idea of who their child is and their child changes every day. Mm. And they have these ideas at a much younger age and they're thinking that, you know, rarely forced kind of mindset of things. And this gives them sort of that freedom to realize, okay, be something else, you know, I could be someone else, I could be anyone I want. And it breaks them free of that kind of that, that cage that people kind of put their, their kids in. And so that's all we're really talking about. You know, we're talking about something that's really fun for, for parents and for kids. And when people get these protests, because before it was the critical race theory, and now it's they don't like LGBTQ books, they think it's pornography, and they don't like Drag Queen Story Hour because they think they're doing something to the kids. Like, none of that's happening. And I'll go back to Vonnegut quote again with that. It's like getting, getting trying to ban a book is like getting into a full, you know, night costume to attack a hot fudge sundae. So you have all these like proud boys showing up, you know, armed and like in tactical gear. And it's like, to a man dressed as a woman reading to kids, like, do you not like story time? You don't like people reading to kids? What's the problem? You know, it's just, it's such a dumb, it's such a dumb controversy. Mm. And so many people are really like getting so worked up over it. And, you know, we, we, you know, we've had the local Washoe County Republicans protest at our, at our board meetings. And so I was like, okay, no, we'll do a presentation on it. We'll mm. show you what it is. So we, I did a presentation on why we came up with the idea. You know, and then showed them, I showed them too, they showed the Blues Clues, Drag Queen, story time, the, the Blues Clues Pride Parade. So Nina West, who's a drag queen, did a one, 2021, so Blues Clues had the Pride Parade, and she sang a song, you know, in the big parade, to the tune of, like, dance go marching one by one. So it's really fun. So I played that to them, it's three minutes long. Mm. They, like, closed their eyes, they covered their <laughs> eyes, and they turned their chair around, and I'm like, this is what you're mad about? Mm. This is a children's show. This is this is a children's show. And you think all this stuff like we're trying to do, and it's like this is network television. You know, so obviously they have far more rigorous strict you know structure than we do, and they're playing this. Mm -hmm. So what is the problem? And then we played our drag queen story time we had during the pandemic. We had a virtual one that our, our drag queen Ginger Divine did, and she did a wonderful job. So we played the whole 10-minute story time. Again, they just closed their eyes mm -hmm. and they turned the chair on like 
Is, is this look inappropriate? Does this look like you're, they're doing anything? No, this is dumb. You're just making this up to get people upset, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just one of the things where any kind of political movement, you have to kind of get people upset, you know, like this is going on. And sometimes people fudge that a little bit, you know, that this is kind of like, not really what's going on, but it gets people upset. So when you ever think like children are being harmed, people are going to get upset. I immediately, do you want children being harmed? No, I'm upset about this. And it's like, well, did you actually examine like what's going on here? Cause we're mm-hmm. not harming children. Cause you do story time. We do this all the time. We do all these programs. You know, we can't even have one program for gay kids in the, in the Washoe County because of people like that. And it's sort of like, well, what does that mean? You know, like they're all like, what about us? Like 99% of the time we're serving you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very little percentage that's not about you. Yeah. Like you, you can throw a rock at one of these books and it's going to be written by a white person, assess mm-hmm. that white person, you know, so you don't have nothing to worry about at any time in the future about that, you know, but it's also, you need to learn to be a little more inclusive because people aren't going to talk to you if, if you're, you're acting in a bigoted way. People are not going to talk to you about things and you're going to just have this sort of fantasy about who all these people are, but no one's talking to you because you're a bigot, you know, you're sexist, racist, homophobic. Who's going to talk to you about these things, you know? So you can't act that way mm-hmm. and think people are going to talk to you or you're going to find out more about this community. You're just going to be in a little circle and be mad about it. And it's unfortunate because it's like, you're getting mad over something that doesn't exist, right. you know? And you're getting so upset about it. And like, why? Like, you could, you can go read a book. You can go <laughs> spend your time doing all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, you can go work in the, you know, doing the soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. You can go, you know, read books to kids. You can do all kinds of things. But instead, you're going and being hate, hateful towards people that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know? It's, and it, there's always kind of an aspect of that with libraries because some people don't like having, you know, other people other than white being served. And I think that's always been the case. You know, libraries used to be segregated. You know, Ralph Ellison famously had to forge a letter from his employer so he can check out books from the white section of the library. You know, so that's always been an issue with that. Or like, who gets this information? Who gets who gets served? Who doesn't? So it's sort of a, still a microcosm of the, what's growing in this country in general. And I think that's always a concern when you look at people, how much they can get away with. How much can I say without consequences? And we have, you know, we have a Holocaust collection at the library and we do Holocaust exhibitions. We have a collection, we have exhibitions to kind of raise that awareness about this is how hate, where this is how hate starts. You know, Judy Mack was the one who started the collection many years ago because her father was, was killed in the Holocaust. She was, you know, a young girl when that happened and to watch her mother die in a shed of starvation. And then had to beg on the streets to survive until miraculously some family was able to, to find her and bring her home. And, you know, these are the stories that we're trying to tell. Because, like, this can happen again. These things can happen, and this is how it starts. And I think that's something that's scary when you start seeing that. People showing up to guns, to story times. You're like, this, they're just trying to show how much they can get away with. Mm. Because, you know, we had the drag queen story time. You know, we're trying to get, you know, cops to come out to, like, calm it down. We had a whole plan with that, and they didn't show up. And so it's like, well, they're going to do worse things. And it's kind of like where you hold the line as far as who gets to, who gets to exist. Mm-hmm. And you're saying these people don't get to exist. These human beings don't get to exist. Well, you know what? That comes for you too. Because once you are able to take away someone's rights at any level, they can take away your rights. Mm-hmm. And that's just you know, my, my deeper <laughs> philosophy behind it is like, you know, when you start taking away and that's, that's where the Nazis started. When you can say this person's less than human, I can take away the rights. They'll take away everyone's rights. Mm-hmm. There's no one that's free of that. So you can't let anyone for any reason, take away someone's rights. And that's, that's always the, the joke that our attorney who helps, helps with our, our board, make sure we, we don't violate any open meeting laws, says that, you know, United, the United States government, you know, has the right to take away everything from you. You know, they can, they, you have the right to life, liberty, and property. They can take away your property, 
They can take away your liberty. They can, you know, you break the law, you go to jail. They can take away your life. You have the death penalty. So it's like those things still exist. So you have to be really careful about your rights because those rights can be taken away and you always have to fight for them. So it's just, Mm -hmm. I see this as a microcosm. Like we're trying to get away with this. We're trying to see how far we can go with that. And the more they can push, the more they can take away everyone's rights. And I mean, it seems like the library being officially the place for everyone does have an important role to play in kind of upholding that standard of being for everyone, representing everyone, being inclusive. I mean, obviously schools, everyone goes to school, so schools should be inclusive. Libraries, everyone can go to the library. I mean, everywhere should be more inclusive. But it feels like libraries just structurally kind of fill that role in our community. Yeah, and that's in our strategic plan. That was the thing that came out was people want to like honor our diversity, celebrate our diversity. So we have a celebrations calendar, sort of making sure we're doing book displays or special events every month to honor whoever is going to be honored that month. So Black History Month, you have black authors being featured, you have story times, and you cover all those things. We go out to doing outreaches like with Juneteenth. We march in the Northern Nevada Pride Parade. We have a dragging story time. The public wants this. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to see that. They want to live in a community where that's inclusive, that houses all these people, because that feels like it's a better place to live you know a place where you don't feel welcome you're not going to stay mm-hmm. sometimes that's the intent right. <laughs> yep. indeed yeah. yep what did we miss what else do you want people to know about the libraries or what do people not know or misconceive about libraries what do you want people to kind of take away from this conversation about our libraries in northern nevada well i mean we're open seven days a week now so that's mm-hmm. it's one of the things that i still run into people kind of just like are you closed for covid and it's like it's it's way past that point. We've been open since, I mean, we closed like March 2020, and then we opened the whole pickup in June 2020. And then we slowly opened everything up after that. So, I mean, you always had access to the books. Only for those few months, we we're trying to figure out what to do because it was always like, it's just COVID on the books, you know? Right. Like, I don't know. Like, you do have some stuff that goes on books, but it's such a trace amount, it's not going to do anything. That's true for anyone who's, if you have cold, it's going to be on the book. So it does. we don't need to sanitize it. It's such a small amount that you wouldn't have to worry about that. So it's like we're open. We're open seven days a week. We have all these services. Come to the library. Come to the website, washoucountylibrary.us, and you can find out all the cool stuff that we're doing. If you don't have a library card, we're open seven days a week. You can get a library card. You get a library card online. You can get just an overdrive card, a Libby card, by going to the website because it geolocates you. So if you're in Washoe County, you go to the Washoe County overdrive site for ebooks. Cool. So you can immediately get a library card that way too. There's no excuse why you can get a library card. 77% of our Washoe County residents own a library card, which is pretty high. So, you know, we're just trying to get people engaged and come to the library, hang out, read a book. If you do some virtual work and you want to get out of the house, just come to the library, hang out. We won't kick you out. We won't make you buy a latte. We won't give you a code for the bathroom. We just hang out in these comfortable chairs. We just renovated a lot of our facilities. Come to a comfortable chair, look at the snow, look at the wildlife and just relax. So it's a, it's something that's sort of like we kind of morph into what the community wants. So sometimes like during the like post-recession, a lot of it was makerspace and just kind of being entrepreneur and being creative. Like, make your own business. Make yourself out of anything you want to and just make it. And now it's kind of like after COVID, everything else and everything has been so busy and there's so much development happening. Like, I need to relax. I need to step away from everything. Come to the library. Just hang out. You can do all that work at home looking at the same author you looked to the last, I don't know how many years now. Or you can go to the library and just find a comfortable chair. Find a little egg chair at downtown Reno Library and look at the wonderful trees here. Or you can go to a Spanish Springs, you go to the big window, it's a big circular building, and you can look out the window and see that. We have a little map of all Washoe County there and a little statue of Sarah Winnemucca, you know, and um, you can see just the nature that's there. South Valleys, you can look at the mountains. Northwest, you can look at the mountains. It's just relaxed. They're just amazing, like really relaxing places to be. And so that's always something that we're a busy world right now. And take time for yourself. You could just take an hour 
hang out at the library, work on your stuff from there, or sit in the library, read a book. Just take take 10 minutes for yourself. Start with 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then extend that more and more because I think you'll find that you're happier and that you'll be better at your job, better at things when you've taken time for yourself. You meditate, that's good. Read a book as meditation and find out more about the things you like and it helps you grow as a person. So that's my message. Take time for yourself, use a library. Excellent. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks for what you do for our community. I I really value libraries a lot. Like I said, I very often will end up at a coffee shop just because of the society that we live in. My brain programming is like, oh, hey, go spend money. Welcome to capitalism. And I appreciate that we do have these spaces. And thanks for making it your career to ensure that we have libraries that exist, that are available, that are inclusive, that provide that service to our community, because it's so valuable. So thank you so much for doing what you do and for coming on the show to talk about it. It's always fun to kind of learn a little bit behind the scenes about the important stuff for the people here in Reno. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And special thanks to my guest, Jeff Scott, director of the Washington County Libraries, for taking the time to come on the show. This episode was produced by myself, as well as Lynn Lazaro, with assistance from Ember Braun of the Reynolds School of Journalism. I've been very fortunate to partner with the Journalism School to have some assistance on the show and hopefully help educate a new generation of podcasters. We need more podcasters. So thank you for Ember for your help and Lynn for helping produce this episode. If you enjoy this episode or any other, please do me a favor and spread the word. Projects like Greenoids really depend on word of mouth to survive and thrive. So tell your friends, tell your family, post on social media, share posts on social media when I post episodes. That really helps spread the word and let people know about the show. There are tens of thousands of daily podcast listeners in the Reno area. A lot of them don't even know the show exists yet. So let them know that we have some pretty valuable conversations on this show. I would greatly appreciate that. Of course, Renoites is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in. That's all I've got for you this week. 